We've been uh, teaching our way through the armor of God and thinking about what it means to understand the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword, the, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this morning, what we want to talk about and think about, moving on from the belt of truth. Now, if you weren't here last week or you're here this week because you got that uh, teaching, we spoke about the power and the reality of integrity and doctrine working together. Now, what does that mean? It means that if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, the enemy will take you out. It also means this, that we must be careful that things don't, like a Roman uh, soldier was going into battle, he would have all his, his clothing um, there and, and he would tuck it all up and he would put it all in the belt and get himself all ready so he could move. But if he had things hanging around his feet around his ankles, you know what can happen, don't you? Uh, My eight-year-old son knows what happens when he runs around the home and the garden with his his laces undone, very simply. Uh, He runs and runs and runs, then pooh. And I said, do your laces up. He does them up and then they get undone again. And then we move on to the God-given gift of Velcro. But... But you know that when you've got something hanging around you, it will trip you up. And in life, we understand that the enemy will take anything that hangs around us in untruthfulness or lack of integrity and will trip us up and create all kinds of different problems. I want to move on as we think about the breastplate of righteousness. And we've been reading from Ephesians Uh, 6 and chapter uh, verse 10. So let's just look at the verses here. Finally, be strong in the and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand... Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. You have to buckle the belt of truth around. You've got to choose to put it in place within your life. And whatever this breastplate of righteousness is, which I'm going to explain to you, you have to choose to put it on. You have to live with it. It is a piece of armor that was only put on when a soldier was going into battle. Failure. How many of us know in our own lives that we we carry failure? We've been through difficult situations. We've faced difficulties and problems. Failure is part of our life and part of what what we experience. We let ourselves down. You remember those moments? I've certainly experienced this. I really handled that moment with that person, usually a member of my family, really badly. Why did I say that? 
Why did I do that? Oh no, that's dreadful. And you lie awake at night, right? And you're tossing and turning. And you're trying to swallow your pillow. And you're trying to think, why did I do this? And it's going around in your head again and again and again. And there may be moments in your life that are momentous moments of, oh, oh, I failed. And when we failed, what comes along with failure? Accusation. Always accusation. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. You failed in that way. You made the wrong mistakes at that time. Accusation comes at that moment. Sports people experience this, don't they? Um, I'll talk about a, a wonderful g- game called soccer. And, and David Beckham. Now, I know that many of you are not interested in English soccer. Um, but I forgive you. But... It's a wonderful game, and it's magnificent, not quite as good as cricket. I have never been able to attempt to explain cricket to anybody. But there was that moment in 2004, David Beckham. You may not have heard of David Beckham. He is a, he is a god in the soccer world. He is unbelievable. He's married to a member of the Spice Girls. So, you know, it has to be special. Um, and, and he was there, Portugal, 2004. And it was that moment when we were going through to the finals or the, the semi-finals. It was the quarter-final. David Beckham, you know, magnificent player, puts the ball down, steps back, runs towards the ball, shoots, and he misses. I'm in my apartment with my wife. I am there, and it was as if I could hear the whole of Britain cry, No! Why? No! Kill him! And I know you've never felt that with hockey, but what is going on? And... And he had to live with that failure. And he was like, interview, no, no, no. We were not got knocked out. And Portugal went through. Oh, the injustice of the evil of the world. And so we had to go with that. But it was harder for David Beckham. Because every time he appeared playing for Manchester United, uh, he would he would face a barrage of songs and chants year after year, about his missed goal. Until finally he got one, and then they went away. And there are these guys that are actually in the crowd. When something happens that week with the soccer team, they will write a song, mainly of abuse, about that soccer player, and they will all sing it to that other team. You say, but I've never heard that when I've watched English soccer on TV. No, because that's not the real sound you're hearing. They put a pretend sound in the background with English because the language is so vile, the songs are so horrible, and the accusations keep flying. See, when you've missed the penalty in life, the enemy loves to sing a song to humiliate you again and again and again. And to tell you how useless you are. To tell you how you blew it. To tell you that because you failed there, you will never. It's as if he writes a great song. And I've been there. I support a a team called Aston Villa. You wouldn't have heard of them because they're rubbish. But but they, 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 they... 
these worship leaders get up and they sing songs of abuse and accusation to throw the other team off. And that's what the enemy really wants to do in every one of our lives. You may have walked in here and you may be carrying such sense of, of, of pain, of failure, of difficulty, that life hasn't gone the way you expected, that it's tough and that it's hard and you feel, how can I cope? Let me tell you something. What I'm going to tell you this morning, this piece of armor, one size fits all. In other words, it doesn't matter how much failure, how much pain, how much agony you are carrying in your life. If you let the righteousness of God come down and touch you, your life can be changed. You can let go of your failure and you can find a new beginning. You can get lower, let go of those things that have absolutely wrecked your life and say, I'm going to allow Christ to cover them. So what does this righteousness mean? Well, in a very technical term, the righteousness means this. It means that you are right with the law. You are right with God. And you therefore choose to live right. That's good. And, and I know it may seem strange, but to, to live right or to be right with God is the most beautiful thing any one of us can experience in our lives. To wake up in the morning and know that you are right with God is the best feeling in the world. To wake up in the morning and know that your sins are forgiven, your failures have gone, and that you have got a second chance, and you, God has credited you with his forgiveness and his grace is the most wonderful thing that should change our whole perspective. As Christians, we should be the most joyous, the most glorious people because I get up in the morning and I know that I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's hard to imagine, I know. Hard to imagine. Perfect family, perfect life, everything perfect. When we talk about righteousness. But of course, there are three things I want to highlight. You see, when you become a Christian, the word righteous means you are made right. Made right. You see, although it's hard to believe, I was born wrong. It's true. Now, I was born on October the 22nd, 1965. Make a, that's a good date to remember in your planners. For, a, for, you know, little card, go down nicely, bit of chocolate. Anyway, and 1965, October the 22nd, at 1.08 a.m. in the morning, I entered the world. I was wrong, but I was so right. But I was wrong. Why was I wrong? Because there was something within me passed all the way down from generation to generation, original sin, that will cause me at the very youngest of age to start to react in a certain way. And we talked about that last week, to take those moments and to twist the truth. We learn very quickly how to deceive, how to play our own way, how to show, even as a five-year-old I described, how I used the moment to turn a situation to my benefit because I worked 
worked out that I had a way out that saved me pain. And that's because I am born wrong. But the glory of God is this, that in Christ Jesus, I am created and I am made right in his righteousness. And there's nothing I can do except I can just receive that righteousness. So I'm made right. Because I'm made right, I have to be willing to understand that I therefore choose to live right. And righteousness, the word here, is about us realizing who we are in Christ Jesus. We are sons, we are daughters, we are loved, we are not orphans, we are not abandoned, but we are made right, we choose to live right, and therefore we choose to act right. Affects every area of our lives. You see, the word righteousness in the Greek and the Hebrew, as you look at it, particularly in the Hebrew, speaks of two very powerful concepts that when you are righteous, you are made righteous, but therefore you do acts of righteousness. You are somebody that is made different and it affects the way that you engage in the world. You love the world. You care for the world. You step out. And a righteous person is not somebody who is just forgiven and therefore ignores the world. We are forgiven and we change the world. We change the world. Let's back up a bit. Let's think about the armor. We're familiar at Willow Park Church with armor. Because we have a whole, it was valued for our insurance purposes, somewhere in the region of $30,000 of all of our living nativity costumes. They're amazing, aren't they? We have, many of you have dressed up as Roman soldiers and terrorized our community as they've come through. I love it. And if you're new to Willow Park, living nativity is only... 272 days away, and I made that up. And, and you can sign up soon. But we dress in our Roman gear, and, and, um, and Scott Burke walks around with his sword. He really does terrify people. And, and going for it with a breastplate. Now, the breastplate was made of molded metal that covered the whole torso that was covered in leather and was held together from the back and the front with thongs. And so the soldier would go into battle and he would wear this armor, interestingly, and something that is obvious, but I'm going to state it anyway, the breastplate covers the vital organs that will kill a soldier. So you go into battle in the breastplate of righteousness and Paul chose to not call it the breastplate of truth or the breastplate of, 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 um, of salvation. He calls it the breastplate of righteousness because he knows if we know that we are made right in Christ and we are loved children and that God has forgiven us and we are cared for and we are made right, that protects us from our Organs that can take us out. Obviously the heart. A fiery arrow to the heart without a breastplate of righteousness can take you out. And in scripture right the way through you see how the most dangerous thing a Christian, a believer, a member of Israel could ever have is what? Is a hard heart to God. That is the most dangerous thing. And what the enemy wants to do 
is make us hard to the presence of Jesus. He wants to make us hard to God's love and to God's grace. It is spoken about again and again about the hardness. The second area, of course, is the lungs. He wants to take the breath out of your Christianity. He wants to take the breath of God's spirit out of your life. He wants to make you unfit for service by taking away your ability to breathe deeply, move forward in the presence and the power of God, the Holy Spirit within your life. We are all called to be consumed and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because a soldier that doesn't have breath Strangely, this piece of, not strangely, I suppose, but this piece of armor, breastplate would go up and cover the neck. Don't you notice that when the, when the enemy hardens your heart, when the enemy takes away your breath, you lose your voice in so many areas. The most vulnerable parts of your life Your spiritual inner man has to be protected by a deep sense that I have been made righteous. I have been accredited. I have been forgiven. God has given me his grace and his love. I am a child of God. And to know that you are forgiven and to know that you are loved and to know that you are cared for is the greatest resistance to the accuser of the the enemy gives us security. Security in our faith. Security in the way that God looks at us. Security. And you may have failure in your life, but this armor, one size fits all. Your failure, your pain, your battles, your life are not so big that God's righteousness cannot cover your life. Three things, little illustrations. If we understand that the armor covers who we are, this righteousness, and I'm saying the same thing that I said earlier, but in a different way now. First of all, righteousness is therefore received. You have to receive his forgiveness. You have to receive his righteousness. For many of us, you remember the day, that precious day, whatever age you were, when you gave your life to Jesus. Noah spoke about it in, in his Garden Lake um, uh, words of testimony of receiving Jesus and, and, uh, and that sense, that moment when you knew that you received the gift of salvation, you were made right, but you have to receive it. And this is really important. It's a great scripture. I love this scripture. Zechariah 3. The nation of Israel, this is 500 BC. The nation of Israel is now uh, being reunited with its land. It's been in the chaos of Babylon and the nation has come back and the prophets like Zechariah and Haggai, they're, they're prophesying, come back to the Lord. The Lord wants to take you. You've been in Babylon. 
And then suddenly in chapter 3, and for some of you who don't understand the Bible, and you can read these old, old glorious prophetic words, and, and they speak to today. There's this moment where, where the prophet sees a scene where there's a high priest called Joshua. And he is stood there, and on the side of Joshua is is the accuser. Literally, in, 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 in the scripture, it says, and Satan was there, present, next to the high priest. And, and in front of the high priest was the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord looked at the high priest and saw that the high priest was in utter rags. It was in utter disarray, was Filthy and dirty, and the accuser was stood there, just accusing and singing those chants and those songs. And the angel of the Lord looked at the priest, and the angel of the Lord took away the rags and gave him the new clothing. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sins and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head so they can put a clean turban on his head and clothe him while the angel of the Lord stood by. This is glorious. This is magnificent. Why is it you say to me? I don't, you know, what are you talking about? I'm talking about an individual who is called to significance and to intimacy with God who is dressed there, being accused by Satan and then in the filthy rags, the angel says, take them off. I'm going to dress this priest with fine garments. Can I just say, that is my story and your story, if you are in Christ Jesus. There's a day when I stood in my life in filthy rags, stood there with nothing, stood there like an urchin, like an orphan child, with no direction in life, drinking from the muddy pools of humanity, with no sense of divine destiny, no sense of God's sovereign plan in my life. And I was an urchin, I was an orphan, and Christ Jesus, the angel of the Lord, came before me, and he replaced my filthy rags with glorious garments of God's presence and his kingdom. Amen? That's what he did. Now, it's even more true than this because in the verses earlier, it actually says this. It says, it talks about the fact that that the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. He says it twice. I think the Lord wants to rebuke Satan. And maybe when you feel accused and failure, as if you are no good and useless, you need to stand up and you need to rebuke the powers of darkness in the name of Jesus, not just once, maybe twice. And this is God doing it. So, you know, 20 times, whatever works. And the Lord who chose Jerusalem, rebuke you. It's not this man, isn't Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Oh, you receive righteousness. 
Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? How many of you have been snatched from the fire? Boy, the fire of of your past, the fire of your life, the fire of, of what you've been through. It hurts, by the way, to snatch a burning stick from fire. True? And it hurt Christ Jesus to hang on that cross, bleeding and dying for you, so he could snatch you from the fire. And he snatches us from the fire. Now, I know you great Bible scholars. I know you're thinking, of course, the fire represents Babylon, yes. And being snatched from Babylon, put back into Jerusalem, yes, of course. But the layer upon layer is this, that we are snatched from our slavery, from our Babylon, from our pain, from our fire. We are taken as orphans, as refugees with no clothing, and we are clothed, and we receive righteousness, and he dresses us, and he puts a turban on our head, and he makes us a priest, and says, you are clean. Righteousness is received. My wife will not, me, will not let me wear hats. She's not here this morning. She was here last night. Because they look horrible on me. Do some of you wives do that with your husbands? I want to wear a, a baseball hat. But something happens when I put it on. It makes my face turn into this... I don't know, because I can't see it myself, but Michelle just looks at me. And then, then I want to wear one of those baseball hats that has things across it that says things. Because like, things like the Canucks, <laughs> or, or, you know, Ford Motors. You know, I see you walking around, you look so cool. And, and or, yeah, this one, yes, John Deere tractors. I want to wear one, a green one. John Deere. True. You see them. I've hung out in Saskatchewan. They love it. Grandmothers, aunts, nephews, they're all there at A&W. Yes. And so. But there is one. One hat I guess you'll let me wear. Because on the front of this turban, it, what was written... Holy to the Lord. How about that is the call of your life? Holy to the Lord. I have been made righteous. I've received it. And it's holy to the Lord. You see, when you receive it, it's a gift. But then what you have to be willing to do this is the kind of thing about righteousness is that you receive it, but then it demands of you that you become a co-worker with Christ. In fact, the priest here was told, now you've received it, do the laws, follow my decrees, walk with me, work with me, and I will bless you 
And there's this sense you receive it, but you don't just receive it. Then you have to live it. Then you have to act it out. And then you have to do it. Because the word righteousness at the heart of the Hebrew is, yes, you are made righteous. But secondly, yes, you are a charitable, giving, loving, caring person full of love and faith that is full of God's love. No wonder in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, where it talks about the breastplate of righteousness, that he describes it as love and and, and faith and hope there. And we are a people that bring charity. We're a people that bring love. We're a people that bring hope. We're a good people. We're a blessed people. We're a charitable people because we have been made righteous. And we've got to work out in our own lives. We may have been made righteous, but are we doing acts of righteousness? I've really struggled over this, I'll be honest. I, I'm a pastor and I meet with lots of people. I pray with lots of people and, and, and I love it. But I have to keep asking myself the question, am I living a truly righteous, charitable Christian life? You know what that means. It's not just about caring for those who are close to you. It's about being, being charitable to those who are around you, who are far, who are broken, who are hurting. I think of the Hope Center. This Thursday lunchtime, we had over 50 people from the community there gathered. It's noisy, it's messy. Some of them are getting baptized. Half a dozen did Alpha. But they come because they're hungry and they come for the food and they come because they live in Rutland. And I can't help it, but when I stand there and see the noise and the running and the kids and then a group about three, three to six come from a, uh, a brain injury charity and they bring these dear, dear ones with brain injuries in, and they love to come, and they sit, and they'll cry out occasionally, and it makes you turn around and think, what's going on? But I can't help but think that what is going on is more righteous than we can ever imagine. A person came in this last week, had no shoes. I don't know why he didn't have shoes. Maybe he sold them. I don't know. But his feet were red raw. His feet were were bleeding. Within moments, one of our members, one of our older members, was at Value Village, was got back, well, there was the shoes, was sorted. And somebody said, well, where did his other shoes go then? And one of the workers said, it doesn't really matter where they went. He walked in this place with bleeding sore shoes. And he walked out with nice white trainers. See, but you've got to work out what it means for you in, a, in ways to be a righteous. You've been made righteous. There's no doubt about this. You don't need works. But the fact that we're made righteous demands that we act 
righteously. In love, in hope and faith for each other. Because you are a warrior of Christ. And if you want to take out the enemy, then take him out with love and faith and hope. And it's beautiful. It is the greatest privilege to be a Christ follower. And maybe you're not a Christ follower. And I think the, we may have even in our Western churches lost our way a bit with the very roots of our Christian faith. But you are precious. Snatched from the fire people. Dressed in rags but now in glorious garments, and on your head it is written, Holy to the Lord. Are you? Holy to the Lord? Or maybe just a bit? You work it out. And keep coming while you work it out. Because we don't mind. We just take anybody. You're just welcome. 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 Let's pray.